Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. How are we all this morning? We good. Pam, just wanted to say that was an absolute, that was an inspiring word that you brought. It really, I think, just it really lifted uh, and and it was inspiring. And uh, I I know that the uh, the breakthrough in your own life in just bringing that was uh, was inspiring just as much as the story of your father and the the adventure that he went on. And uh, and we're we're speaking today about the adventure starts here as as a church. We are, uh, we are on an adventure. I think we very much feel, uh, those of us who've maybe been here for a wee while, or maybe even people who've not been here that long, that just there is a shift, there is something new, there is something uh, on the horizon, and, and we might not quite be able to see it yet. It might be a little bit out of our, uh, out of our view, but we know it's there, and we're, we're stepping, uh, stepping into it. Uh, and we actually have one of our, uh, one of our uh, adventurers returned to us this evening. We have Mel, who uh, was in our Young Adults group several years ago. Mel was with us for, for like a year, I think it was, and uh, we had such an awesome time. I think you must have arrived around the same time as Gabby, right? That's right, yeah. So uh, she's here this morning. So if, if you have never met her before, she's a wonderful person. You should go meet her. And if you have, then uh, make sure that you go say hi before she uh, heads off. Are you here this evening? Oh, so you got two chan, two two bites at the apple, two bites at the apple, everyone. Uh, but don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. There you go. That bit's, that's for free. I didn't even write that one down. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to do. Uh, we're going to continue on the adventure starts here. Do I sound terrible to everyone, by the way? Okay, I thought it was just me. <laughs> it's like my head had just been put in water, and I was like. <laughs> uh, so yes, the adventure starts here, and any adventure needs to start with a plan. Now I know that we all like to think, oh yeah, I'm just going to go out and have an adventure, but any adventure needs some sort of basic outline. You, you, need, you need something of a, of a where, of a when, and a how, uh, and the less that you have decided that plan beforehand, the more of it you have to kind of flesh out on the fly. Uh, I remember... When I was about 20, me, uh, my wife, who wasn't my wife then, Laura, and my uh, younger brother, Stuart, we took a trip to Berlin. And my brother had bought us these uh, tickets, and they were like really cheap ones off of uh, EasyJet. And so we basically bought tickets for, to, to go to Berlin, or we thought we were going to Berlin. We actually were about 100 miles away from Berlin, and we had an address at which we were going to stay. And that's all we had. And we thought this was really wild. We were going to go traveling and not really have much of a plan. It wasn't that much fun. <laughs> I mean, Stuart and Laura had a great time because I just stressed out the whole time trying to flesh out all of these details. Uh, it was cool that we, we went out there, and I now look back on it, and it seems quite wild that, uh, that I would do anything as irresponsible as that. But, uh, but it, was, it, it was not as much fun as... I mean, some of you guys have probably loved that kind of uh, thing, but uh, it, wasn't really, it wasn't really for me. Um, we had to do all sorts of things to try and figure it out along the way. Like book hotel rooms at the last minute. We didn't really have any money, which sort of made it a little bit more difficult. Uh, but, you know, to go anywhere, to do anything, you have to conform to some kind of plan. And, and you know what? That plan can really be no more than just 
uh, a guiding principle that you adhere to. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a guiding principle. That's a principle that you can guide your life. And that's a principle that you can go and you can go and have an adventure. The Bible says, God says, he encourages, he, 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 he asks of us, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that is a principle that you can walk along. That can start you on your adventure. But some kind of rationale needs to exist. There needs to be something there, some guiding principle, some rationale, or else you will just wander aimlessly. You'll just wander aimlessly. You'll be blown by the winds of circumstance. You'll you'll end up where they want you to go. If your steps are not deliberate, then circumstances will overtake you. They will overtake you, and you will end up going where circumstances push you, as opposed to where you want to go. There has to be a deliberateness. Amen? There has to be a purpose. We have to understand that where we are going and how we're going there. It might just be turning up to the railway station. It might just be turning up to the airport. But you've got to get there before you can get there. It says in, a, it says in Proverbs 1, verse 32 to 33, it says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety, and be at ease without fear of harm. And actually, I read in a sort of slightly more obscure translation, it says, for the aimless wandering of the thoughtless will kill them. The, the aimless wandering. You, you can't just be an aimless warrior. Uh, warrior? You can't be an aimless wanderer. Because if you're an aimless wanderer, you just end up being blown by the winds of circumstance. You don't get to where you want to go. You are not going to be an effective traveler, an effective adventurer, if you're just like, well, let's just see what happens. Because what happens will happen to you, and it will, it will change your path, your purpose, your plan, and you'll end up going where it wants to go, as opposed to what God has purposed you to do. When I was, uh, I don't know, 23, 24, I was sent over to Houston on work. I should probably not say this on, like, recorded thing, because I had to go and tell the uh, people... Uh, at passport control that I was just there on pleasure. But trust me, nobody goes to Houston on pleasure. You just go there on work. Uh, but I went in and I'd been, my flight had been delayed. Uh, and I ended up, I was supposed to arrive at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it was more like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Which was okay, except for I never really travelled to, uh, I'd never travelled to America before. And I had to get a rental car and drive to a hotel which was not something I'd ever done before. Certainly not anything I'd ever had to do in the dark before. Not that I'm scared of the dark. Uh, but it, just, you know, it makes things a little bit more difficult. Uh, and so I went and got this car. It was an automatic. I'd never driven an automatic. I think I had to ask them how to make it work. Uh, <laughs> and I had a sat-nav. But a colleague of mine, just before I left, says, by the way, whatever you do, don't follow the sat-nav. I'm like, why would I not follow the sat-nav? I don't know where I'm going. And he said, he said, but if you follow the sat-nav, it will take you on the toll road. And you'll have to pay a toll. I'm like, oh, no, I wouldn't want to do that. It didn't occur to me at the time. I was on a business trip. I'd just claim it back on expenses. <laughs> but for some reason, he made it seem so important. So I was like, oh, I won't do that then. He says, I'll draw you a map. It's like, all oh, right, excellent. Turn out reading maps. Basically, a printout of Google with a line drawn on it in the dark. Not that easy. Uh, so I got out there, and the sat-nav's telling me where to go, but I'm ignoring it. So it's like this sort of chirping in the background. It's like, oh, stop speaking to me. Uh, I got in the car, and about 30 seconds into this drive, I was already lost. 
And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. And I'm driving around, and the sat-nav's trying to tell me where to go. And I'm like, stop speaking to me. I don't want to get it all. And I was going everywhere, and I'd never used a sat-nav before. In the end, I started thinking, forget this guy. This guy's a new guy. I'm going to trust a sat-nav. But I'd never used one before. So it would say, uh, all right, you're about to take a left. And I'd immediately turn left. And it'd be like, no, no, not right now. You've got to turn around. <laughs> like, I can't turn around. And I was driving on the right side of the road, and I don't even know my left from my right, so that was pretty tough. Uh, it was just awful. And I ended up so lost that I was in the middle of the night. I was stuck in traffic in the projects on the road to Jacksonville. And I don't even think Jacksonville's in Texas. <laughs> there might be more than one of them, but uh, I, and I was going to be lost forever. I don't know. I'm supposed to start working like six hours. Uh, so I eventually found my way to, to this place, and I was so exhausted. And in the morning, I realized, and this goes to not having a plan, uh, that I hadn't actually got the address of the office I was going to. So I called, uh, I called my office back in, the, back in Aberdeen. They were just finishing for the day, and they, they told me the address, and I wrote it down. But it was some sort of crazy address, like 10,000 Houston Avenue or something like that. And I wrote it down and put it into the sat nav. It's like, it's 17 miles away. Why would they put me in a hotel 17 miles away? I was told it's just around the corner. So I drove there. Once again, it was a horrendous journey. I got lost loads of times and I was driving the wrong way down the streets and eventually drove outside of this building. Once again, I was back in the hood. And uh, it was a building I can really, uh, an establishment I can only really describe as a crack house. And uh, I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to work in a crack house. Uh, (laughs) So I called my office again, praying that someone would still be there. And they're like, James, it's not 10,000 Houston Avenue. It's 1,000 Houston Avenue. Why would you think we'd put you in a hotel 17 miles away? I think I almost cried. And uh, (laughs) I put it in and I drove and it was literally... I could have walked there. I could have walked backwards to to my office quicker than it taken me to drive. And I was late and embarrassed and uh, felt rather stupid. And, you know, when you don't have a plan, you can, uh, you can get a little bit lost. There's something about adventures that I think as people generally, most of us, most of the same people anyway, we, we kind of have a fear of the unknown, right? There's, there's a little bit of fear. There's a little bit of, like, intrepidation. Uh, fear is maybe not the right word, but we certainly... Is a bit hesitant about stepping into the unknown because it because it represents a degree of risk, it rep- because because you don't really know what the repercussions of your decisions will be. You don't really know what's out there, so you can think, well, I'm going to do this, but you don't really know whether that's going to be the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, and more importantly, you don't know if doing the wrong thing will end up, you know, taking you on the road to Jacksonville. Uh, and you can overthink these things. You can get stuck in sort of, uh, I think they call it paralysis by analysis. Uh, you, you start to overthink it and you can become afraid to do just about anything. You can become afraid to just make any decision. But the reality is that when you're having an adventure, not doing anything, not making a choice, is still making a choice. You're, you're on a road. It's tra- you're in a car. It's traveling. If you decide to keep going, that's fine but you're going to keep traveling, and you, and you can't get off. And so choices are not just sort of optional. They are nece- they're, they're necessary. They're, they're a part of the adventure. 
And the adventures that we are on, the adventure that we're on in our own personal lives, the journeys that we take uh, in our lives are, are punctuated by these key moments uh, where we're obliged to make a decision. Uh, the decision as to whether to keep going, uh, whether to head back, to turn this way or to that way. And what I really want to discuss this morning, what I really want to put forth is, how do we recognize God's direction upon our lives? When we're stepping into the unknown, how do we, how do we know where God is taking us? How do we know what God's will is for our lives? How do we know these things? How do we know where he's taking us and, and, and how to get there? Sometimes it's just simply that. I think all of us, we want to know the best route to navigate through the unknown. That, that's what we want to know. We just want to know the best way. And, and faith, faith offers the promise of guidance. You, just, you, you know that in faith that there is, this, that there is God. And, and, and what, we, what is unknown to us is not unknown to him. We, we are sometimes so in the thick of it that the saying, you, you can't see the wood for the trees. You know, you're, you're just right in the thick of it. And you can't possibly navigate your way when, when everything's so up close. But God has the view from 10,000 feet. He looks right down upon it. He knows where you're going. I, one of my favorite things that I, I think about and, and just gives me so much confidence is God can see around corners. God knows what's on the other side. I don't. It could be that something awesome is around the corner and I could be right up close and yet I could choose to turn back. I could choose to turn around but I don't know that God has got something awesome on the other side. And, that, and that's why I think as uh, uh, generally even just as people but, but as Christians we, we want to know, we want to know God's will for our lives because we recognize that, that he has such a perfect plan for us. But ultimately that decision comes down to us. You know, we would love for God to make those decisions for us. And sometimes God, uh, you know, sort of moves us, guides us into particular lanes. But, but ultimately, the decision, it, it comes down to us. And, and I think as a general rule, as a, maybe a generalization, but we tend to go with what we know. We go with what we know. We will always push off on the strongest foot. Uh, we'll always favor the answer where we have the greatest depth of knowledge. Have you ever noticed that when you're having conversations, and you see it quite a lot sometimes uh, you know, after church when we're just all hanging out and there can be like sort of five or six people in the conversations, conversations veer between the sort of the topics that people are comfortable with. You know, people don't talk about stuff that they know nothing about. At least not, not normal people. <laughs> I, I have to admit I've probably talked once or twice about things I, I shouldn't be talking about, but... But generally conversations, normal conversations, they, they flow along this route of the stuff that we are familiar with. And it flows out of that sort of basis of understanding that we have. We've, we've built up an understanding. And we, we crave that familiarity. We crave it so much more when we're under pressure, when we're in the uncomfortable. Like it's, it's fine to sort of throw ideas out there in a comfortable setting. But when the heat is on, you go with what you know. You, you, you tend towards the familiar. You like that comfortable feeling. Uh, and that basis establishes our response to situations. It, we actually condition ourselves uh, because we, we will delve into that data bank of experience and weigh our options against them. Uh, and, and it's funny that we do that because by, by sort of going back to what we know, it actually it deepens yet narrows uh, the bank from which we make decisions. It, you, you basically, you actually become 
a specialist in certain ways. You, 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 you're, you become familiar, so familiar that, that you know that this is your lane. You stay in your lane. You, you make decisions according to what you feel comfortable with. And the more you make decisions according to that, the deeper that, 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 that bond with that sort of mentality, that sort of approach. If you're risk aversive, then the more that you are risk aversive, the greater the level of risk aversion you will have. You will, that will become something that becomes deeper and narrower. And it narrows down your life. Uh, but that's, that's, that's how we are. We, we build up these data banks of, of understanding, these data banks of knowledge. And, and, and according to those things, we generally make our decisions. See, we are, the, we are the sum of all of the decisions we make. We are the sum of those decisions. Our lives are characterized by those large choices. And that people look at the large choices, the important choices we've made in our lives. And that's how they characterize us. But, but actually, those those large choices, that characterization is a function of all of the little decisions that we make every single day. They, it's, they all build together. They accumulate. Uh, I was thinking of it like this. If you're, if you're drawing a person's profile, if you're drawing someone, uh, you don't just take you know, three or four you know, straight lines. Ah, yep, that's, that's a likeness of them. You, you can't create a likeness of someone with just three or four lines. In the same way, you can't really define a person by the three or four big choices that you make. It's actually the, the definition is made up of all the many contours, the tiny strokes, and, uh, and the features. That, that's how the definition of our lives are constructed, in the same way that you would draw uh, a profile. It's that just every single decision, every single choice that we make just forms this, enti- this picture of a... I don't know what I was drawing there. It was, it was something a bit like a face. <laughs> it's a pretty ugly face. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that, and, and our lives are the same. We're not, we're not just these stereotypes. We're all of totally individual lives. And, you know, I could characterize someone as risk-aversive, but risk-aversive in certain circumstances, under certain situations. All of these things build together to create a characterization, a picture, a definition of ourselves. And uh, we are conditioned how to address big dilemmas by how we handle small ones. It says in Proverbs 10, verse 16, it says, The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. I like that because wage is something that, that, that is accumulated. It's, it's something that you build up. In, and and you're, the wage of the righteous leads to life. It's not that just they suddenly get life. It's that they commit to a path. They, and, and that path builds and, and, and you build up that knowledge base and you, 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 you begin to have a reliance. And, and that is the wage of the righteous. And it leads to life in the same way the gain, the accumulation of the wicked leads to sin. Talking about sin, uh, <laughs> the story coming up. But uh, I want to preface it by saying uh, just a word of word of wisdom to all of the uh, all of the young men here in the house. Maybe all the young people in the house. Uh, it's a rule that I wish I'd known when I was young, and and but I know now, and that is that generally, no, let's not say generally, exactly, <laughs> nothing good happens after two a.m. <laughs> Nothing good in life happens after... No good story starts with, well, it was after 2 a.m. 
It doesn't happen, okay? When, I, when, when my kids are at an age that I would even let them go outside without me, uh, they'll be like 20 or something like that. <laughs> there will be a curfew, and it will be before 2 a.m. And at 2 a.m., the deadbolt is going on. It's like, if you want to stay out past 2 a.m., you can sleep in the doghouse. I'm going to have to buy a dog, but that's okay. It's a small, it's a small price to pay that you be back in here for 2 a.m. Because I do not want to hear any stories. Dad, I've got someone to tell you, start at 2 a.m. Because I have enough of those stories myself. So it was 2 a.m. on a Friday night. <laughs> I know, what a cliche, right? And uh, I was standing on a wall, uh, looking down. It was in a stranger's garden. Uh, and I was looking down. Oh, this is a bit like a wall. I was looking down at this garden below. It was about 14 feet below because it was a sort of garden that was on a, on a hill. It was middle of the night. And I was thinking to myself, am I going to have to make this jump? Now, this was quite a big decision for me. Uh, and I kind of felt like my, my life depended on it. Uh, now, I should go back. I'll work backwards on this story. See, I was standing on that wall wondering if I should jump off because I was actually being chased. And the reason I was being chased was because a man who had identified himself as an off-duty policeman had asked me to stand still so that he could approach, and I had chosen not to. I had chosen instead to run. And see, the reason he was asking me to stand still was because right at the time I happened to be walking past his car, he noticed that his wing mirror was no longer attached to his car. The reason I happened to be walking past his car at this time was because I thought it would be a good idea to go and check no one had seen me and my friend remove aforementioned rowing mirror from the car. And the reason that we were doing that was because we had left the house at which we were at because my friend had asked me whether we wanted to go and find some fun. And the reason I was at that house in the first place was because I'd lied to my parents and said that we were going to go around and watch a movie. Instead, we were going to get trolleyed and try and impress some unimpressed girls. See, I wasn't just standing on that. I wasn't just standing on a, <laughs> on a wall just... And I had to make a decision. I had made a whole bunch of really terrible decisions that had led up to me standing on that wall. <laughs> My mum listens to this podcast and she does not know that story. <laughs> you do now. Uh, see, we fixate upon these big decisions, that the, uh, you know, standing on a wall. But actually, it's the small choices throughout every single day that pre-qualify those decisions. They pre-qualify them because I would never actually been standing on a wall like, under those circumstances if I'd never put myself into those circumstances. See, we make choices of indulging sin. I don't think anyone goes out with the mindset, I'm going to commit sin. It's like, we just indulge it. We just let it go. We just just go with the flow, but we know where the flow is leading. Uh, We choose to feed our soul instead of our spirit. Uh, And we often settle. I think this one's really easy to do. We often settle for another person's revelation rather than pursue our own. And I was thinking about this the other day. I won't tell you where I was thinking about it. But uh, living on another person's revelation is a lot like sitting on a warm toilet seat. <laughs> it's a lot like sitting on a warm toilet seat. There's, there's something that has that stagnant feeling of leftovers. It's another... It's that, it's that, it's that uncomfortable sense of someone being a little bit too close that you're inhabiting their space. It's, you know what, I'm not, and I don't mean it, it's not good to, 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 to build yourself up, but 
But there is a time where you have to get into the Word yourself. There is a time where you have to, you, when you are faced with a problem, faced with a dilemma, and you've got to find that answer. It's no good saying that this person who does a podcast, they did this, because that's God's answer for them. We need to get that stuff for ourselves. And it is great to equip yourselves, and I encourage you, equip yourself as much as you can. But in those moments, it comes down to you, not another person. It's no good saying, well, this person did that. What did you do? But you see, finding yourself standing on a wall isn't always the result of bad decisions. Sometimes God leads us up to the edge. I think many of us here today maybe feel like we're maybe standing on the edge of the unknown. And it's not as a result of bad decisions. Moses was standing with his face, well, facing the Red Sea with a horde of Egyptians intent on murder, intent on wiping out him and the children of Israel. And he wasn't in that situation for making bad decisions. I'm going to read to you a little bit from Exodus. Exodus 14, 15 to 16. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? I'll just stop there. Why do you cry to me? God, God is classic, isn't he? <laughs> why, why do you cry to me? Oh, I don't know. It might be the fact that there's all of these people who are chasing after me. And there's like a sea, a red sea, right in front of me. I, I don't know. Maybe that might be the reason I'm crying. <laughs> I'll continue. Uh, tell the children of Israel to go forward. <laughs> but lift up your rod. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. That is one of those. It's, it's such a miracle. It's such an iconic miracle in the Bible. There's certain miracles that just, it doesn't matter whether you go to church. It's found its way into just society. Everybody knows the parting of the Red Sea. It's so visual. Like you can imagine just walking through it. And uh, it's, it's such an inspiring thought. Moses didn't start his walk. He didn't just pop out of the crowd and say, what are we going to do here? He was the head of that crowd. And, and he got to there through various sort of experiences along the way. See, he had... They had actually got to that place because they'd been led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They'd been led out of Egypt to this place by God, which, I don't know about you guys, but a pillar of cloud, that's like the most awesome sat-nav I could ever imagine. You <laughs> just imagine, oh dear, oh dear, I, I think we should be, uh, should we not be turning left? Look, the pillar of cloud is going straight ahead, so... <laughs> Oh, I hope we're not going to get caught on the toll road again. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, he had that. That's a pretty big thing to have come. Before that, he had, uh, he, had, he had seen sort of ten unfathomable plagues be visited upon the Egyptians. He'd seen just wave after wave of pestilence and disease just sort of wipe them out to break down the resolve. Just... just Unbelievable things. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that frogs are particularly scary, but I imagine when they are everywhere and you can't sit down without hearing, then uh, it's. A <laughs> that didn't sound like the sound it makes when you sit down on one. <laughs> Ribbit. Uh, you know, there was, there was these sort of inexplicable uh, meteorological anomalies that, that happened. Uh, I, 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 my favourite one is the, the River of Blood. Because I think that, like, as a Scotsman, you would spy that opportunity. 
black pudding anybody? <laughs> Take lemons, make lemonade, right? <laughs> and then there was, there, was, there was God's sort of covenant with the Israelites where, 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 where the, the firstborns were, were, were put to death uh, from the Egyptians, the ones who would not, uh, anyone who would not sort of make covenant with God, where, where there was that great sort of, uh, it was sort of like the end of their resolve. The Egyptians broke after that point. Uh, but before even that, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Jesus isn't in this story. Uh, Moses was sort of brought out of the wilderness by being spoken to by, by God from a burning bush. He, just, he spoke to my burning bush. And, and in the same moment, threw his uh, rod on the ground and it turned into a snake. Uh, and even before that, even before uh, all of those things, in Moses' sort of first moments of life, God rescued him from, from being killed and arranged for him to be brought up by the very same royal household that had decreed his murder in the first place. That God had been a part of Moses' life every single step of the way. He had been there. And so when it got to the point that Moses was standing in front of the river of Galilee, he knew that the answer came from God. He was acquainted with knowing that when these sort of problems presented himself, he had tried many times before to do things in his own strength, and he had understood the folly of his own methods, but he knew that God always came with an answer. And although he was not necessarily sure what that answer would be, he knew where the answer was going to come from. And it was the knowing that the answer was going to come from there that he inclined his ear towards God. And he might well have been crying a little bit, but that's probably okay because he still was pointing his, his question upon God rather than thinking, how do we make a deal? How do we get out of this? Which is what so many other people uh, at that moment were trying to do. See, Moses had developed the discipline of intentionally shading his perspective with God. He had committed to this process of observing God in the midst of his circumstances. He knew that that whatever was going on, God was there and he could incline his ear towards him. And so maybe the question or the answer to my question isn't how do we know God's will when it comes to these big moments? Because maybe if we're not sure, it indicates that we've not prioritized the pursuit until it's too late. Maybe that pursuit has, has, has come only at the moment where, where everything seems completely out of control. And only at that time do we think, well, God must have an answer here. Things have got really desperate. I'd better go and ask God now, as opposed to asking God along the way. And I think that's why our responses are so often predisposed to how do we feel. How do we feel in a moment? Pressure comes on. How do I feel? How do I feel? What, what, am I, what can I do? Do I just feel like the right thing to do? Do I feel like the wrong thing to do? Feelings might not have anything to do with it. It might be that your feelings will tell you the wrong answer. It might be that it will not lead you on the right path. What is a guarantee is that God will always lead you on the right path. He will always lead you along the correct path. It says in Romans 12 verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I, the, the, the word that is key to me in there is, is testing. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. It doesn't say just, you know, it's not a Hail Mary. It's, it's not just a sort of a, a last dash effort. Last dash, blah, 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 blah. A last dash effort. 
put my teeth back in. <laughs> Testing is like it's, it's poking, it's prodding, it's making those small little steps of faith. I was thinking just about sort of the, that sort of process. And, and you know what? Don't start looking for God just to hand you say, a house out of nowhere. If, 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 you're having a, if you're developing your relationship with God and you, you want to you sort of trust your finances in Him, don't, don't make the first step be like, well, God, I really need a house. Could you, could you hand me one? See, God has set sta- uh, play, steps in place. You know, tithe. Tithe. Put, put, uh, trust God with your tithe and witness how the waste in your finances just disappears as, as God takes care and shuts down the effects of the devourer. You know, tithe. Offer. Offer and, and watch God open up blessings and opportunities over your life. Then, then give God dominion over all that you have. Just, just, just ha- pass it on to him and watch as you see breakthrough and uh, prosperity sort of come forth. Testify of those things. And then finally, learn to stretch forth what you have. Stretch it out. That, that, stretch out your resources. Extend them into the supernatural realm and watch as God just brings miracles through. We're, we're, and it's in that that you would see a house, that you might see something extraordinary. Don't start there. Allow that process of tithe to offer, to give all and to stretch it forth. Allow that to be the process. Allow that to be how you get there. It's not about just the big decision. It's about all of the little decisions that lead on the way up to the big decision. See, there is a grace and a peace in our decisions when we operate out of our relationship with God. Situations don't feel as big because we rest in the shadow of His grace. It says in Matthew 26, 27, very famous verse, Can, can anyone of you I'll start again. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? See, learning, learning to draw upon reservoirs of faith and trusting his mercies, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. Just, just learning to be safe and at rest, even when the circumstances seem to ask the opposite of you. Recognizing that God will come, that the will of God comes via the 10 million little choices that we trust God in rather than the big ones in which where we suddenly plead for his wisdom. It's keeping that eye fixed on God. It trains us to recognize how to handle all of the situations. And also shows, it enables us to like give credit. So I think that's one of the things I've sort of learned in my life is learning to just give credit in, in all of the situations where I see favor sort of unfold towards me and sometimes it seems to happen in the most natural way and it's very easy to sort of dismiss it as being well it was something that was going to happen anyway but actually before it happened it was something you were crying out for it was something that you wanted to see happen and when you learn to start honoring God even in the in, in, even in the things that seem so mundane it changes your mindset it says in Psalms 37, 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. See, being captivated by him, it reinforces our assurance of his faithfulness. Being captivated by him, just, just having your eyes upon him, 
It reinforces that faith on the inside. It builds it up. It makes it strong. It makes it something that is a guiding principle upon your life. It makes it something where you will find yourself deferring to God, even in the most mundane thing. Because even in the most mundane thing, God can do something totally supernatural. Because God knows what we don't know. And we don't know how mundane a situation or a circumstance or a decision might actually be. Can I get someone up on keys, please? Here's the thing about grace that speaks to the quality of our God. Grace, God's grace extends. It extends into those situations that he wasn't even necessarily part of from the beginning, where he wasn't even there in the build-up. Our whole lives are a tapestry of choice, and not everybody has the benefit of growing up in a Christian household, of knowing God from a very young age. Probably many of us here only learn about God and only learn about his love for us as adults, by which time we were maybe already sort of reaping the wages of mistakes that had come before. Many people, you know, come to that and, and, and don't necessarily know how to deal with it. They, they feel unworthy. They feel as if the mistakes they've made disqualify them. In 1 John verse 5 to 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith whatever is born of God overcomes the world there might be choices that you've made there might be decisions that you made that that you now regret that you now think better of and you wonder how can God really do anything with my life because I've surely messed it up and screwed it up so much right now that I'm not of any use That scripture there is the one to draw you out. It says, born of God. Whatever is born of God, you are born of God. It overcomes the world. What is it? What is it that that, that, that does it? It's our faith. It is our faith. See, God undoes, undoes that knot within us. He undoes it. He removes that stain from our lives. We are redeemed out of a life of shame. We do no longer remain anchored to regret. God has, has set forth and his grace is so great that he can take whatever foundation we might have built for ourselves and transport us, supersede that old one and put us on a new one, a new one that is not formed of dysfunction, not formed of regret, not formed of shade, not formed of, of any sort of misguided intentions. You are here this morning, and maybe you haven't ever walked with God. Maybe you never feel like you've ever made a decision that had God involved in it. I want to encourage you and let you know that is not a problem because the most important decision, the most important choice, is the one to receive God into your life. And that can happen at any single time and any single moment. It doesn't matter how old you are, how far down a path you might feel. God by our faith, by our trusting in him, by us giving over to him, overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.